Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Brigan. For the overwhelming majority of mammals, their biological sex is determined by a pair of sex chromosomes. Two X's and you have a female. An X and a Y and you have a male. Exceptions apply, but for the most part, this system has persisted for over 160 million years. But why? Sex chromosome turnover is common in other animal groups, so why the stability in mammals? Well, that's the question we're exploring in today's episode, as we hear from the authors behind the recent heredity paper, Fragile, Unfaithful and Persistent Wise, on how meiosis can shape sex chromosome evolution. Welcome to the Heredity Podcast. Can you please both introduce yourselves? My name's Paul Waters. I'm an associate professor at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia. My primary interest is sex chromosome evolution, but more broadly also sex chromosome biology. And uh, my name is uh, Aurora Ruiz Herrera. I'm associate professor in Autonomous University in Barcelona, Spain. And our research is focused on how genomes understand how genomes are organized, evolve and transmitted to the offspring. And for today's discussion, we will talk about sex chromosome evolution and my uses. Perfect. Well, thank you both for joining me. And yeah, like you say there, we're going to talk about sex chromosome evolution. And I guess the first question is, what is your paper generally on? Uh, in this paper, we show how the particularities of uh, the meiotic program have shaped or have influenced the evolution of sex chromosomes. So we wanted to bring together dif- different disciplines, meiosis, sex, uh, chromosome, and evolution. And this is because it's a fundamental question for biology. You know, all, all reproducing organisms produce uh, germ cells, oocytes, and sperm. And each germ cell carries just one copy of the genetic material, one copy of homologous chromosomes. So this process is called meiosis, it's really conserved between different taxa, and it's highly regulated, because at the end of the day, you need to have a healthy sperm and healthy oocyte. So we have different levels of regulation of this process. One of the levels of regulation is that homologous chromosome needs to pair between them, interchange material, so they have at the end of the day, increase the genetic variability within populations and also avoid missegregation of chromosomes. So you don't have extra or less chromosomes at the end of the day. And uh, another level of regulation is that sex chromosomes need to be um, silencing. So genes on sex chromosomes need to be turned off because it's essential for the process as well. Because if this silencing does not go uh, properly, Meiosis does not progress, and then germ cells so either are irproduced or they are not produced at all. So this is important. So in this context, sex chromosomes are really, really important because um, they are particular and different from autosomes. They not uh, have homology in its full length, and they only share, at least in Ethereum, like humans, rodents, and cats, they only share a small region of, of the chromosome, which is called said autosomal region. So that's why we think it's important to bring together how the sex chromosomes are organized and how they behave during, during meiosis. And also there's different uh, sex chromosome morphology in nature. And that's why uh, this is also important to understand. Yeah. Hmm, fantastic. Yeah, so I would never pretend to be an expert in meiosis. So I'm sort of coming from this, from the sex chromosome evolution side of things. We see in non-mammalian clades of vertebrates, so you know, reptiles and, and things like this, that there are lots of different sex chromosome systems. 
that have been turned over, even closely related species, can have different autosomes that have become sex chromosomes. And in mammals, specifically therian mammals, which are marsupials and the placental mammals, so us, we see the same sex chromosome system as persisted for, what is that, 160-odd million years or something like that. Um, and the question is why? And we've never really put together the mechanisms of meiosis together with sex chromosome evolution as a field to try and understand how meiosis might actually influence uh, sex chromosomes. And it turns out that there are genes on the Y chromosome that are critical to meiosis and uh, the meiotic checkpoints that Aurora was sort of alluding to, and that these things are quite selfish elements that are required to initiate meiotic sex chromosome silencing, and then they're required to be silenced by that exact same process. So if they're not there, meiosis fails and you don't get a viable gamete. And without a viable gamete, with a Y chromosome, you can never lose the Y chromosome, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. And I think you kind of touched upon it a couple of times, but one of the really interesting things at the start of this paper is you talk about the fact that sex chromosomes show a different form of inheritance than Mendelian inheritance, which I guess a lot of people listening might be familiar with. So what exactly do you mean by this? How is their inheritance different? Yeah, the fact that, that uh, this loss of heredity that the main ones are, are three, you know, that you have independent assortment, that is genes of different traits are independently um, inherited one another. And the second is that for two set of genes, the dominance is the one that are expressed in the first generation. And the third law, you want to say that is segregation, no? that is germ cell precedes just one of the copies. But these are the main laws, and there's many sections to these three laws of heredity, and one of them are sex links inheritance. And this is because at least the species with, because sex chromosome can be, uh, as we said, different morphologies in nature. And it's one of the key points. So and the ones that we have, for example, in, in humans is heteromorphic sexual. The X and the Y are very different. And maybe we can talk about that later, about the origin of sex chromosomes, right? But now, at least the ones that we have in humans and eutherians are very different between them. And that means they have a different set of genes in there, covering different set of genes that are necessary for sex determination and all the features. So that means that assortment in genes that are in sex chromosomes are different from the autosomes. So in that sense, sex chromosome behaves different. They behave differently from autosomes in, in terms of segregation and in terms of gene inheritance in general terms, right? So that was the idea. So touching this love of Mendelian inheritance, how sex chromosomes are different. Fascinating. And I guess you kind of just mentioned it there as well on the origin of the sex chromosomes, because you also kind of discussed this and where they come from, the evolutionary mechanisms that gave rise to them and why they might persist. So why do we think sex chromosomes evolved? Um, uh, why is a big question. Um, <laughs> why or how? <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think we know a little bit more about how, um, because... You know, you can, you can determine sex genetically with sex chromosome systems or you can determine it with an environmental cue, temperature being the most obvious one. So what we do know is that the X and the Y, and I'm going to be talking just about uh, the therian X and Y, so marsupial and eutherian or placentals. So an ordinary pair of autosomes gained a sex-determining locus, and in this case it was a testis-determining allele on what became the proto-Y chromosome. So then you have essentially 
proto X and a proto Y. So one of them is going to become the X and one of them is going to become the Y. There's still recombination occurring um, along the length of that chromosome, like it would when it was an autosome. And then you have accumulation of alleles around that testis determining locus on the proto Y chromosome that are beneficial to males. So things that might be involved in spermatogenesis or something else that you might perceive as male beneficial. And they're physically close to that testis determining locus. So they're in, in linkage disequilibrium, which means that they're more likely to be inherited in males than they are in females, which makes sense because they're male beneficial genes. And ultimately, you get suppression of recombination across this region. How that happens is hotly debated at the moment, but it ultimately did happen. That generates the first male-specific region of the Y chromosome. And once you have suppression of recombination, then all sorts of things can happen to that new male-specific region because you no longer have selection acting at a, at a single locus. You have selection acting across that new block of male-specific region. And that means that in that region, you could have a bad mutation. But if it's on the same Y chromosome as a really good mutation, that bad mutation will be dragged to fixation in the population. That can happen in reverse too. Good mutations coupled with bad mutations um, can result in those good mutations not getting to fixation. As recombination is suppressed further along the length of the Y chromosome, uh, this phenomenon happening across the whole Y chromosome, and that ultimately results in loss of gene function from the Y chromosome and its degradation. And its degradation over 150 odd million years has led to the wimpy Y hypothesis, which just sort of states that it's a, a degraded relic of the X chromosome. And being a degraded relic or a wimp, why is it persisted? And that's what we're trying to answer here in this particular paper. Mm, fantastic. That's a very fun name for a very serious thing. <laughs> um, yes. I think that's a really good point that you're kind of getting onto there, because I guess the real crux of your paper is on the persistence of this Y chromosome. Um, and it's where you have some of your most interesting discussions and some of the most interesting arguments. So what are the sort of key points that you want to pull out for why this Y chromosome has persisted? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That this degradation that Paul was talking about, no? many authors have said, well, if we keep this going many, many generations, eventually you will lose the Y. And this is not the case in many of the species that we see in nature, although there is exception, obviously. But uh, one of the main ideas here is that the, the thing that the Y is still persistent is related to the meiotic program. As I said, no, in males, during a specific window of meiosis, you need to have the sex chromosomes inactive, right? Because they have different set of genes and they need to be inactivated to, to allow the process. So, Within the Y, there's one chromosome or a set of chromosomes called executioner genes that they need to be turned off during this meiotic window. Because if they get on, meiosis does not progress. They kill the cells and we don't have germ cells. So these genes in the Y, they need to be suppressed. Yeah, so we see that most of the species, they have retained the Y, although this process of degeneration, eventually you will think it will be lost, but this is not the case. And we think that this is persistence of the Y in different species is related to the meiotic program, actually, because, as I said, one of the levels of regulation of the meiotic program is to have sex chromosome silencing during, at least in the spermatogenesis, in the male germline, because there's really different set of genes, so they need to be silenced within the, this process. So the Y chromosome has evolved to bear genes that are uh, need to be silenced during this process, and they are called or executing their genes. Because if these genes are translocated to an autosome that are expressed 
ill expressed during meiosis is, is, is bad for the cell. So the meiotic program stops and you don't produce germ cells, you don't produce sperm. So you need to these genes to be silenced during this, this specific uh, window. Uh, and that we think has imposed really a strong constraints to these genes to be in the Y and not in other chromosomes. So the Y needs to be there with these genes to meiosis to progress. So that's why we think the Y chromosome is persistent because it has really, really these important genes in there, right? And the only way that these genes can be translocated is in the X chromosome because the X is also silencing during the male myos, meiotic program. So you can only be in the Y and the X, not in the autosomes. So that's why we think uh, the persistence is there. So in many ways, obviously, these genes have been really well characterized in mouse, but we don't know many things about other species. And that's something that we want to bring into light. So a way to, to understand more what these genes are doing and where they position and their behavior in other species, mouse or rodents, for example. I don't know if you want to add something more about that. Yeah, I think the main point is that essentially these genes, they initiate the silencing, then they have to be silenced by the silencing that they induce, so they act as their own sensor. You know, the Y chromosome has been considered selfish in the past in that it gains functions that are beneficial to males, so as I said before, things like spermatogenesis functions, and that's the reason that it persists because it has those functions. I think the selfishness is for a different reason. It's that these things have a place to evolve and they've evolved there. And that's why the Y chromosome persists. It's, it's a different kind of selfishness. Well, we also see other species that they have lost the Y, but probably they have another system to retain again the function and stay and start over again. Yes, and, and those species that have lost their Y chromosomes in mammals, so these are mole voles and spiny rats, those executioner genes have been translocated into the X chromosome where they can still initiate that silencing and they do initiate that meiotic silencing. So they pass that meiotic checkpoint and they're not expressed. So that's the only place they can go from the Y chromosome is to the X. Mm, fascinating. I think a lot of people will be surprised to even hear that there are mammals that have lost X chromosomes. And I guess it's some really interesting ideas about the persistence of the Y chromosome in this paper. But I wonder what you both feel is the sort of key message that you're hoping people are going to take away from this paper. I was just going to say something quite simple is that mammals are probably exceptions with invertebrates, maybe birds, but we don't know enough about them. Because in other vertebrates, sex chromosomes seem to get turned over quite a lot, whereas mammals are the exception, like we're the weirdos, probably. Because something that we we just uh, focus on eutherians mainly uh, in heteromorphic sex chromosomes, but there are many many uh, exceptions and there is a huge diversity out there that still remain to be discovered. So uh, we wanted to just to bring two main points here: the meiotic program, which is essential and is really conservative taxa, how important it is to or in the light of sex chromosome evolution, right? So why chromosome evolution is really dynamic, although in eutherians are really stable to, to few exceptions, but there's uh, many morphologies and, and, and processes in other taxa that remain to be discovered, probably. And also that this is also very linked to the meiotic program, which is essential for the sex reproduci reproductive species, actually. And uh, I think we believe there's still much work to do now in describing new sex chromosome systems and new meiotic program that can allow their or can um, influence the dynamic of the process, right? So we wanted to bring together, 
which is mainly now about uh, genetic field in terms of sex determinants of genes, chromosome evolution, and also cell biology, the meiotic program. Also, I think combining different fields will give us uh, will give us probably answers to to really complex questions actually. Yeah, and all sorts of new insight. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a very, very interesting paper. It's a very unique paper, although a lot of the elements of it, I think, will be familiar to a lot of people reading it, because as you say, it does touch upon a lot of different fields and just kind of brings these ideas together in a really nice way. And I really hope that people are going to go and read it and really have a think about sex evolution. And just to finish up, I wonder if you could remind us what your paper is called. Yeah, the, symbol, the paper is called Fragile, Unfaithful, Unpersistent Wise, How Meiosis Can Shape Sex Chromosome Evolution. And I just invite all people just to read it. And just even though, as you said, James, uh, there are different fields, concepts that were already there, just bringing them together and try to have new ideas on how biology works in that sense. Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely one of the most interesting papers I've seen come into heredity in a while. And we have a lot of interesting papers, so... I really hope people will go and give it a read. And uh, thank you very much, both of you, for joining me and sharing these ideas with us. Thank you to you. Thank you. Thanks to Arara and Paul. You can find their paper on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash HDY. While you're there, you can also check out how to submit your own papers to the journal. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. You can subscribe to the Heredity podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening.